We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. John McKechnie and Mario Puig with you. This podcast presented by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Today, we're going to get into some rookie running back discussion. A lot of open-ended stuff. Once you get into that second tier, we're also going to do a little bit of a news roundup with a couple of notable signings over the last week or so. Start the show. Welcome into the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. I believe my co-host has dropped off briefly, but oh, Mario! Sorry, uh, internet browser did a cool trick right after it went live. Sorry, about you, that. you know, uh, technology's ability to time stuff up is always like they have the best comedic timing. The machine's it's been trying to take us down. The, the 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 tech gods are trying to not let us broadcast this, but we just keep stiff arming them into the dirt. Um, I think I think that yeah, like the, yeah, the uh, technology is Earl Thomas and De- and we're Derrick Henry, like kept going to the outside at full steam. Yeah, I would even say we're Greg Jones decapitating Dexter Reed uh, at Florida State, North Carolina, twenty two years ago or whatever that was. <laughs> there's a little throwback. Speaking of twenty two yeah. years ago, you see that there's uh, there's going to be an ESPN thirty for thirty on the two thousand Ravens. Hmm. I mean, that's kind of interesting. I didn't realize there was so much to sort out there. I thought the story was pretty simple. Just like insane defense uh, hurls uh, Trent Dilfer, uh, you know, over the finish line using a catapult. Yeah, it basically, you know, has, has provided barroom fodder for the last almost quarter century. They about, should, what they know, should do is a 30 for 30 just about that week one game against the Jaguars. That's what a whole 30 for 30 should be about. I, I told the crowd to keep believing. I was there. Ravens were down. <laughs> I, yep. But, uh, you know, a little eight or nine year old me knew, knew everyone was just like, that God, game. I hate this kid so much. But <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, Almost certainly right. in hindsight. <laughs> me and my, my cool little purple camo pants. <laughs> got to, got the job done. It, it did. It did. And, you know, the rest of it uh, was history. And at, at that point, the Jags had completely owned the Ravens throughout the their brief existence. Not that the Jags had been around much longer, but that the, they were the they were the the kind of juggernaut, the bully on on the block at that point. Hard to believe now, uh, as current states are with, with uh, the Jaguars. But there was a time when they were like really, really effing good. Um, certainly with not Tom Coughlin, even. Yeah, yeah, Tom mm. Coughlin, Mark Brunel, Fragile Fred. <laughs> Um, Jimmy Smith. I mean, yeah, the list goes on. We, Jimmy we Smith had like 300 yards in that one game. Yeah, so uh, we we can do a, a you know the the name and guys pod will will be uh, <laughs> on the Patreon later. But anywho, let's get into some some rookie running backs because I don't know about yourself, but I, I've done a couple of, of best ball drafts. We we've got a RotoWire uh, rookie. Uh, draft going on. It's it's a mock, but it's you know got a bunch of guys on staff: Jeff Erickson, Alan Zaslowski, Joe Bartle, yourself, myself, Jim Coventry, a handful of other guys in there. So it's been interesting to see how how like the the rookie running backs are shaking out, but both in those rookie drafts and then how you see it play out um, in best ball formats. And a guy that I, I've noticed a good bit of hype on. He's a he's a prospect that I liked, and I thought the landing spot. You know, just as a knee-jerk reaction, what was pretty solid uh, for him, and, and I'm talking about Rashad White going to Tampa Bay. But then you, you you know you zoom it out 
look at the broader context. You know, James Cook goes to goes to Buffalo a little bit earlier in the draft, and you, and you see Damian Pierce. You see that that pathway to carries because there's really no no like locked in um, starter there in Houston. So as it stands, Mario, what are your views on, on Rashad White? If you could take a step back, give us like you know your thoughts on him. Uh, during your prospect analysis and then you know how does he fit into that second tier uh, of rookie running backs obviously with the first tier being Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker if you really wanted to to get granular Hall in a tier of his own Kenneth Walker tier of his own and then you know everything else yeah I thought that was a good pick by Tampa Bay I think Rashad White is a much better uh, candidate to do the, the pass catching specialist kind of things than Gio Bernard who I'm sure Gio Bernard's like a total pro and everything. And there's some reason why he keeps getting the mustache. uh, The mustache cannot hurt. And in addition to that, I am assuming he's like a very professional, good uh, clubhouse kind of guy to have, but on the field, he's about as pointless as it gets. Like, I don't know if he lost something with those knee injuries back in the day or what, but Gio Bernard was not a threat with the ball. He didn't do anything. He can't do anything at this point. Rashad White can definitely do something more with what Gio Bernard got last year. And, he can, you know, by merit, earn more usage in the first place. So I definitely think he's the he's the off the bench back for Tampa Bay and uh, over Keyshawn Vaughn, even like I don't think Keyshawn Vaughn's really, you know, anything. So Fournette is definitely locked in. I don't think Rashad White's going to take a whole lot from him. I think this is more like Fournette is pretty much a workhorse for 40, maybe 45, 50 snaps a game even. And then White gets pretty much everything else. And I think at once he'll be good at that, but also he's not likely to take a whole lot more than that, especially if Fournette's healthy. Uh, even if they move on from Fournette in a few years, I'm not really sure White's a starter candidate. Like if you're if you're in an offense that throws the ball, I don't know, 40 times a game and only runs at 25, maybe in that offense Rashad White would be a starter. But to me, he's basically Tony Pollard, which is to say – you probably don't want to give him more than 25 snaps a game, usually, even though you have a lot of reason to think those 25 snaps will be good ones. Yeah, I th- yeah, that's a good way of putting it, especially, you know, with, with this Tampa Bay offense. I think when I, when I was writing up the rookies for, for the magazine, I saw that I think Tampa Bay had the second fewest or the fewest uh, rushing attempts in, in all of football last year. So obviously that it's a super pass first offense and Leonard Fournette is a pretty, you know, as long as he stays healthy, then he's a pretty, you know, sizable um, block to White. But I, I don't think that there's anything at this stage that that Fournette does that that Rashad White can't really do. Uh, I mean, Rashad White, kind of like a uniquely good pass catcher. That was something that that took Fournette a while to really, you know, learn. Uh, I think learn to be effective at this level. But Rashad White, I mean, as far as like the yards per target efficiency. Um, during his time at Arizona State, I think he was over 10 yards a target. Um, you have 58 uh, targets at Arizona State over two seasons, 607 uh, receiving yards, and, and he caught 51 of those 58 targets. So I think he's uniquely good at that. But he's also, you know, unlike a Gio Bernard, someone who, I mean, 6'2", 210, that's a little bit of a, of a tall. Uh, and he got to 6'2"? Right, or at least like, maybe Arizona State had him listed. I, I'm looking oh, at, okay. at his college page on Rotowire. Yeah, six sure. six one two ten or whatever is still yeah. kind of a string beanish by running back standards. So I agree, though. I mean, one thing about White too is, I, can't, I guess I don't know for sure if he did this at Arizona State, but I I do think he would be a candidate to line up as even like a slot receiver kind of thing. Uh, whereas Gio Bernard is only a shovel pass guy, so. Uh, I, I think White could be, yeah, threatening in a good number of ways. And like you said, his Arizona State production is really good, including as a runner. Like he had, what was it, two years ago, he only had like eight carries a game and he'd go like 10 yards a pop. And then they gave him yep. about like 16 a game last year. And it, it dropped to 5.5 or something, but he had a ton of touchdowns. So that pretty much explains it to me. When you have when you have like 15 touchdowns and 200 carries, the defense is not tackling you that much. It's It's the end zone tackling you a lot of the time. So um, I think I rate, I rate Rashad White better than I did Tony Pollard as a prospect. It's just that, like, you know, I, I compared to him in that, like, he'll I think he'll give you good, like clearly good production up to something like 400 snaps. And I do worry about his ability to take on volume beyond that. But if his body holds up and if he doesn't get gassed, you know, playing, then it, his skills, I definitely think, play pretty much all the time. 
I do too. So like, uh, you know, I, I find myself being pretty interested in, in him. Like I, I'm not going to tease myself into thinking that, you know, he's going to to take over for, for Leonard Fournette barring an injury or, or that this offense changes in any meaningful way where all of a sudden there's, you know, 15 extra carries per game to, to play around with and, and get distributed to, to Rashad White. But I, I do think that he's an improvement over what they had behind Fournette a year oh, yeah. ago. And, and I think that, that that in and of itself is pretty interesting. And when you can get him, at his ADP looks like uh, around pick 134. So like right, right in like the Darrell Henderson, uh, James Robinson tier among, among running backs. And, and mind you, and this is uh, drawing from NFC data, uh, dating back to the week of the draft. So this is pretty fresh. We, we have a decent sample uh, there over the last three weeks or so uh, to play around with. So you see Rashad White checking in at, you know, at that spot. And then you see James Cook, his ADP sticks at 100. Huh. Yeah, I think, like, I get it why people are chasing Cook. I, I understand, especially if if you haven't been following football that long, and you're showing up and getting into fantasy football just in the last couple of years where there's this swell of content and, you know, just philosophies being expressed in fantasy media that weren't a long time ago. I understand why if all you think is important is draft capital and catching a lot of passes and uh, this or those things along those lines, it, you would look at Cook and say like, oh, yeah, he's going to be a star because I know second round draft capital means you got to. We've established that if you spend a second round pick on a running back, you're a stupid team always. Right. But the one way it's allowed is if it's a workhorse that you're pinning to it. So we know they're going to work James Cook on that basis. Right. Well, no. And if you followed football longer, you would know why that's not going to happen. And it's it's it makes sense to chase, I guess, if you think especially relative to white, if you for some reason think the, the Bills offense is definitely better than the Buccaneers, but especially this year, I don't think that's true. I mean, the Bills and the Buccaneers are, are the two best offenses probably, I would say, right now. So especially for this year, Rashad White is clearly preferable to James Cook, I think. And pertinently, he's in uh, Rashad White is in an offense that actually throws the ball to running backs. It doesn't matter what the Bills want to do. They can't throw the ball to running backs if they want to use Josh Allen as a runner the way they have. You have to make a different formation for the, for the logistics of that to make any sense. So maybe Josh Allen stops running so much and James Cook gets a bunch of catches, but that's the only way it's happening. And with Rashad White's case, it's just kind of clearly evident how it could just organically come about without any sort of you know paradigm shifts. So with that in mind, you know how much do you envision the Buffalo offense changing you know now that Dable isn't there yeah I don't know um they'd be foolish to change much I mean I think Dable mm -hmm. did a really great job conceiving just a whole philosophy of of you know just a structure that that suits everything about Josh Allen and maximizes all of his strengths minimizes all of his weaknesses if they deviate from that at all I think they're begging for a disaster really not not that they become a bad team or anything but it's like they've established a very particularly high standard and i don't know why they would mess with it so if they want to have allen run less then the result of that would be defenses defend the run less and put more towards stopping the pass and i don't think that would turn out that well for him so th they could try to change a bunch of looks that would have normally set up allen to make the defense you know pay for not putting a spy in the middle of the field to, to, to watch him as a runner. If they make it so that it's setting up the running back for a screen pass or shovel pass or whatever, instead. Um, yeah. It, it, it might it, like, a it might not work as well as Josh Allen running the ball would and B they might actually put Allen in more difficult positions on the other snaps because the defense is going to have to adjust to that. So um, I don't know why they would mess with it. I guess I could imagine it as like, you know, d designing a couple screen passes a game for James Cook. But if they do that, defenses will quickly catch on that they don't run real playbook plays with him and they'll just know to watch for his his gadget plays and him being on the field will always tip off that that's their intention. So uh, when you look at when you look at that kind of logistical uh, obstacle and then when you look at how James Cook was always splitting the backfield, not just with, you know, Zamir White, who is, you know, a fourth round pick that I don't even think was a very notable fourth round pick. Uh, talent wise it's it's those other there were like three underclassmen running backs that he was splitting carries with even two years ago so right and it, and it took him until his senior year to have more than I think 50 carries in a, in a season 
Right. So, and, and, you know, he's someone who, like, I, I can't deny, and, and, you know, that I'm watching through red and black glasses this past year. Like, I thought that he was the most effective per play running back that Georgia had. But I, I knew that yeah. there would be, you know, a tipping point where, you know, if, if James Cook is getting 20 carries in a game like that, that's not going to lead to like him maintaining a six yards per carry average. Like you, you can't use him in that function. And frankly, like, I don't think that his play strength is all that good. Like, I, I don't think that he no, breaks tackles. It, he is. So like that probably you know, like, bulked up to get to one ninety nine. you know, I, like it's, I would think so. Um, so it, with that in mind, like I, you know, if, if he's having trouble breaking tackles at the college level, albeit against sec competition, like, I just I have concerns about him just being someone that that immediately uh, go, goes down when, uh, upon contact uh, once he gets to the to the you know NFL level. So I, I I'm looking at, at Pro Football Focus right now. Um, his yards after contact he he had 442 of them that, that ranked outside the top 100. He did average 3.9 yards after contact per attempt, which ranked pretty well. Um, but it'll be propelled I'm, by like two plays though. On his see, low that's, what, that's what I'm thinking, yeah. right? Like his, his big run against Alabama in, in the uh, national title game, like, you know, someone might've grazed him in the backfield and he, you know, he's, he's going 64 yards down the field that, that can goose your average on that type of thing. So um, I think know, James I, Cook is basically for whatever good or bad it means to you. I think he's basically Justin Jackson. Dang. Okay. In the uh, NFL, they were very different in college, but it's sure. like, uh, if James Cook had whatever coaches needed to see to put him on the field more, that would be, you know, Justin Jackson, basically, I think. I, that's a, that's a good, a good comparison in, in the sense that, you know, there, there was a time, like you said, you know, pe- people jumping in here, but you know, two years ago there, there was like appeal and intrigue when it, when it came to Justin Jackson, like, it, you know, if he, if, you know, you were an Austin Eckler skeptic then then justin jackson was probably your guy man i can't even if that actually i can't remember some of the some of the debates that have occurred over the years but man i I know there was some amount of eckler doubt i can't if there were actually people who were advocating justin jackson instead Uh, (laughs) they should be glad that people like me forgot (laughs) yeah and and you know or guys like me aren't, aren't overly proficient at using the advanced search function on, on Twitter <laughs> and that type of deal. Um, so we, we, we've broken down the, the two of these guys. Let's get to Damian Pierce because he's the other one that I, I find myself trying to, to get some exposure to uh, thus far. He was the RB four in our uh, rookie draft. He went right before uh, where I took Rashad white. And I was happy to get white with, with the 17th overall pick. So that is what the one, two, three, four, uh, the fifth pick of the, of the second round. And Alan uh, took Pierce uh, with the fourth pick in the second round. And I wouldn't quibble too much with that. And I think that those are two guys that should go pretty much exactly in that range. And, and, you know, potentially even a little bit higher depends on on if it's a super flex um, or not, that obviously alters uh, how, how you want to approach those things. But you know, Pierce is definitely interesting. And I think it's mostly for me, team context driven, but there, you know, there, there's team context things that are also working against the the Texans run game. First of all, I don't really know how this offense is going to look on, under Pep Hamilton. who He's the offensive coordinator, correct? I actually don't know. That sounds right. I, yes, I haven't paid much attention to the, to the Jack Easterby, Nick Casario production, uh, but yeah, I guess I should know that one. Well, I, I guess theoretically, Lovey Smith uh, would, would would be like, let's run the ball more. But um, Texans, I feel like are, are going to be a bad team, of course, and I, I think that um, you know that therein lies the the issue of them likely playing from behind a lot. So they're not going to really have like the the luxury, as it were, to to you know get go for a hefty. Uh, rushing split compared to their their passing split. I think that Davis Mills is going to be pretty busy this year. So um, th- there's that in mind to to consider, of course. But I, I do think that Pierce, by like midseason, I think should be getting the, the bulk of the carries for the Texans. And, and that in and of itself is interesting, even if I think that, you know, his talent is good, but but nothing like spectacular. Yeah, Pierce is interesting. I don't know if I quite agree with some of the swings people are making. I, I think there's there's some reaching going on with him quite a bit. I understand why. I know why 
a person might knowingly reach at that point. Like if, especially if you went, you know, really wide receiver and tight end heavy earlier and you're there in the uh, what, like seventh or eighth round, you probably don't gain that much by taking a sixth receiver or whatever at that point. So you might kind of be cornered into just saying, I'll, I'll just take some running back, some running back that I think could maybe play three downs for some team. And Pierce does meet that, you know, meet that uh, standard. I just wonder, like you said, certainly about the team's overall deal. I don't know what they think they're going to do, what they're actually going to do, how much disconnect there might be between what they think they're going to do and what's actually going to be available to them when they get there. I don't know. I do like Pierce, though, quite a bit more than the third round running backs, Brian Robinson and the LSU one. I think that Pierce is clearly an NFL running back. And the question is just kind of like how good of one he can be. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, uh, like non applicable grades. I think you have to put in his profile because he, he was always in a rotation at Florida, which doesn't need to mean that he's bad, especially when it's like, you know, he's he's losing carries to upperclassmen, LaMichael P. Ryan. And, uh, you know, there's that other one. I can't remember the name well, of it. Malik Davis. Um, you there know, was even a time where he was splitting carries with like Kadarius Tony. So it's like yeah, when you're... Dan Mullen oh, sorry. also. The, the Dan Mullen thing, I think, is an important, like, if you, if you want oh, to like, ding him for crap. the, yeah. yeah, Dan Mullen, and look at him now, like, that, that guy is a clown, and he's fired. Yeah, he used to pull Dak Prescott in the first drives of games at Mississippi State to rotate some other quarterback in that I can't remember, and he was like, no, this is smart, I'm getting, I'm getting everybody fresh all the time this way, so, so good. <laughs> Gotta keep uh, my quarterback fresh. <laughs> yeah, and it's goofy, uh, some, some, some coaches just think it's awesome to rotate players, they don't even care what the position is, they just love it. Um, I, I think uh, with, with Pierce, though, uh, we have to we have to give him a certain amount of like positive uh, grade for his production, even though it wasn't voluminous because he did pass every test that he was given. He didn't fail at anything. He was always really reliable producer. Uh, I would grade his production as clearly the best in that Florida backfield. So I, I do think he was the best player there and stuff like that does matter to me. I think that he would have gotten more playing time if the playing time had been handed out on the basis of merit rather than Mullen's goofy ideas. So I think Pierce could be a really good player. It's just hard to tell for sure. And the tools don't really make you lean that way. I mean, the four, six or whatever. Uh, I think he's basically a four, six, eight, four, seven kind of guy. So if I'm, if I'm forced to make a comparison, I'm thinking along the lines of like Alfred Morris or something like that. Uh, Like a guy who could make quite a dent, not that he's going to, you know, lead the league in rushing, like the, the Mike Shanahan instance of Alfred Morris. I mean, more like, the Alfred Moore's we look back on rather than what people were thinking he was at, at his highest point. It's just like a guy who, if he ends up in a good situation, might do a totally good job, but you know, basically needs a little luck to get there. I do think Pierce has three down ability. Uh, he didn't get a high workload at Florida, but I think his frame can handle it. The question is like, was his good production at Florida only good because he was running at 125% every play? Uh, like the Chris uh, Ivory. Yeah. And it's like, it's one thing if you can keep that guy in an abbreviated role so he can always play at 125%. But if you take that player and make him play 40 snaps a game, he might just burn out after like 25, 30 snaps a lot of the time. So um, if he, if he loses something with volume, uh, then he's not good enough. But if he can maintain what he's shown over a longer sample, then I think Pierce could be good. So uh, I definitely like him a lot more than I've seen Robinson go ahead of him. I've seen uh, the LSU back go within like three rounds of him or something like that. And uh, that's wrong. Pierce is definitely better than those two by quite a lot. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting distinction when it comes to Pierce, because I think sometimes it, and myself included can fall into that trap of like, oh, he was underused. And, you know, if you're getting six and a half yards per carry, that, that, I, Clearly, he must just like be ready to to maintain that efficiency if the workload increases by by you know X percent. So that that's good to remind yourself uh, once in a while that that you know that the the longer sample can can you know have the regression uh, come along with it, and all of a sudden some guys burn faster than others. It's like some, so, sometimes a, a guy can take forty snaps after playing twenty, and the other guy, if you give him forty snaps after playing twenty, he just you know gets himself hurt. Mm-hmm. So that that's a that's a good note there. I think, yeah, that that will be kind of potentially the determining factor as to whether he he can really take on that that number one role in Houston. But as it stands, and at 
cost right now, I'm willing to make that bet. Like if he's my my fourth running back on my roster and in, in you know the 11th round or something, I'm probably looking at, at Pierce and uh, relative to some of those other guys, like probably more so than like an Alexander Madison um, or a Ronald Jones. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I would still try to get Rex Burkhead if possible. I think he's going to be the other one. If there's a problem for Pierce in that backfield, I think it's Burkhead rather than Mac, just because Mac's never really been a passing down guy. And I, I don't, I don't know how much Mac has left after that Achilles tear. I guess we'll see. Uh, he was pretty good before. It wasn't bad before, but Burkhead is definitely their best passing down guy aside from Pierce. Okay. All right. So that that's important um, as well. So th- to, uh, to kind of recap, uh, right now, as far as ADP is concerned, James Cook going the highest of this three um, around pick 100. Damian Pierce, uh, 123 is his ADP, and Rashad White, uh, 134. Um, yeah, so that, those that are good. Of, the last two are good. The first one was bad. First one, indeed, bad. That that gets the official stamp from us. Before we get on to a couple other uh, rookie running backs of note, a uh, quick message from our friends over at Blue Wire. This Rotowire podcast is brought to you by my favorite meal kit, Factor. I gave Factor a try, and I can tell you firsthand, eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every meal arrives fresh, not frozen, and they're chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. Every week, you'll have over 35 different options to choose from, and there's something for every diet, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto, and there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after those wellness goals. One of my favorite things about Factor is the convenience. We're talking meals that are good to go in two minutes or less. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. There's no prep, there's no mess, no cooking, no cleanup, none of that. It's perfect if you have a busy lifestyle and you can't dedicate an hour-plus each day to preparing lunch or preparing dinner, Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Factor also offers options for every meal. Pancakes, smoothies, you name it. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, dinner, whatever you need, Factor has it. Factor is also tailored to your schedule, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals each week. Plus, you could pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. We've run the numbers over here. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be both nutritious and delicious. Head over to factormeals.com slash rotowire50 and use the code rotowire50. That'll get you 50% off your order. That's code rotowire50 at factormeals.com slash rotowire50 to get 50% off today. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And a quick message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Do you love fantasy sports? Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You will have complete control over your team's future. You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a dynasty of champions? Sign up now at dynastyowner.com and start building your dynasty today. All right, let's get to a couple other rookie running backs. Let's unpack Zamir White um, because I think that he's basically, you know, skill set wise, kind of redundant to Josh Jacobs. 
Um, but, you know, Jacobs hasn't always been like the, the picture of health. I think I've seen a decent amount of, of discourse this year when it, when it comes to Jacobs. And obviously I'm not saying anything to the effect of like, Zemir White's going to, you know, take, take carries off of Josh Jacobs plate as long as J- Josh Jacobs is active. But I think that there's been, I'm interested to see where you land on this, where there's a contention that the Raiders are really going to go like heavy, heavy Josh Jacobs because they didn't pick up his fifth year option. This is his walk year. They're just going to just kind of ride him in, until the, the tires come off. Yeah, it could be that. I don't really know how to guess what the Raiders are doing or what they think they're doing. Um, White's a tough prospect for me to figure out too. Like I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not that great, but he might be good enough to be a player who thrives, especially for if it's just a year or two in a big role, like maybe he can just do the, you know, check the box, basically do the, do whatever that team needs. If they don't need him to be a star, I do worry that that's not even an option though, given his durability troubles in college. And then as far as a change of place, a change of pace player, I know he, he was given the four, four flat 40 time at the combine, but I basically don't believe it. I think he's a four five flat guy, which is fine at about two fifteen or whatever he was, but he is a little bit upright for a guy who's basically a grinder between the tackles. And he's got that established injury history already. So I, I think he'll, he'll be the kind of guy who's good with the ball. Like when he gets a carry, he's probably going to do a good job with it. I just don't know if he can give you that many for a handful of reasons. I don't, I don't know. Like the, the Damian Pierce thing is there with him too, in that he never had a big workload in college, but I think unlike Pierce, we have prior reason to believe that it's because of limitations rather than because of like a team strategy thing. Right. I I think, I think if, if Samir White never got hurt his freshman year, um, we would have seen him get over 200 carries a couple of times. I, yeah, I, yeah. Just don't, I just don't think that there's really a whole lot of question about that. And then you also tack on the fact that he injured his ACL his last year of high school as well. So there, of course, George is not going to just like completely run him into the ground. And, you know, uh, 160 carries over 15 games this past season is really not that heavy of a workload. And, and you know, frankly, Georgia had the luxury of emptying the bench in the, in the second half of a lot of their games. So it just didn't make sense for, for them to, you know, leave Zamir white out there in the fourth quarter against UAB or something like that. So uh, I don't know that the distilling down the, like the reason for why, for why his workload looked the way it did. Blah, uh, it can be a little bit tricky. Did have 11 touchdowns in back-to-back seasons when he was kind of like starting to did a good look job. Healthy. Yeah. I just, I just feel like he's, a, like a relic of a, of a past type of running back that, that isn't all that useful in the, in the NFL anymore. I think he's kind of stiff. I, I think maybe there, there is a way in which like his, his, this, the four, four speed shows itself, but it takes so many other conditions being met. It, it takes like him having a really good amount of uh, build up a lot of runway for him to get there. And I don't think he creates that on his own. So I think, yeah, I think he's pretty linear problem. Like he runs hard, but he's, he's just kind of going in a straight line. Yeah. So he, he's a punishing bruising back. And and like, I was encouraged by, by the testing overall at the combine. I just, I don't really see that high of a ceiling for him, which is unfortunate because when he was in high school, you know, his nickname was Zeus. I I guess it still is Zeus, but I mean, I thought he was going to be the next big thing, but the, the knee injuries just kind of altered everything. He's the kind of guy who's much more interesting as a DFS spot start than like a long-term fantasy asset. Okay. So are, do you see yourself get getting much in the way of exposure to, to Zamir White? Uh, he's going no, like, I think he, I don't expect him to even necessarily play. Like if Kenyon Drake is still on that roster, White might be a healthy scratch. So that, that that's a problem. So he he's pick uh, 187 right now. Nah. This is ADP. Nah. Meh. Um, and apparently Alec Pierce is, is going one spot ahead of him, obviously a different position, but I, I'm taking Alec Pierce. Give, a, give 11 you the times Pierce pick for sure. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a much better one. Yes. Um, which other uh, rookie running back did, did you want to get into? Um, I, I know we've talked to Kevin Harris a good amount on here. There's, I think he's basically deferred. Like unless Ramondre Stevenson or Damian Harris gets hurt in training camp, Harris is probably going to get a red shirt, but if he does play, I think he could be the second best running back in this class. Uh, no lower than the third, in my opinion. 
Uh, we kind of skipped Isaiah Spiller. There's been a lot of commentary on him. I think his landing spot was really good with the Chargers. And I thought Josh Kelly was going to be a better player than he's been, but he's been awful. So I don't need to think Spiller's particularly good to think Spiller's going to push him aside for that kind of rushing specialist role. Uh, the fourth rounder that I would worry about ever really playing much in the NFL is Hassan Haskins uh, from Michigan, who the Titans took. Uh, they already blew it the last time they tried to get a backup running back in the draft, spent a third rounder on Darrington Evans, who, um, whatever, he was a fine pick. But uh, Haskins is not a fine pick. There was no reason to take him in the fourth round. They ran out De Deontay Foreman, who's clearly better, and signed a pretty close to veteran minimum deal uh, with the Panthers. And then they spent this fourth rounder, which is clearly worth more than the contract that they could have given Foreman. So I'd worry about pretty much every aspect of Tennessee's judgment right now. And I would not go thinking Haskins replaces Derrick Henry. If Derrick Henry misses time, I think it's going to be pretty much whoever else is laying around. Well, and I think that there's also the element of Haskins just not being able there. There's only certain things that, that he can do. Like, is he like a powerful runner? Yes. But like, I, I don't think that there's much more. Uh, to, to his game he and, might run you know, like a four eight man he never even ran we don't it's it's ridiculous it was a bad the, pick I think a lot of the his numbers last year uh were goosed by the fact that Michigan had the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line that's the best offensive line in college football he, he runs hard he's tough as hell and he's gonna you know he's gonna make people bring him down I just don't think he's gonna get very far before that happens no. So uh, a lot of a lot of getting tackled at, at the uh, at the line of scrimmage for him. So, yeah, I'm not not overly interested in him either. Um, let's go ahead, shift gears, uh, some news and notes from around the league. I uh, wanted to start things off in, in Denver and, and give you the chance to either inflate a hype balloon for one of these guys or pop one for the other. Um, but what's the latest with with these Denver tight ends? Well, you're going to see fantasy sites pick up more and more in the upcoming days. This post from Ryan O'Halloran, Denver Post or something like that. Some Denver thing uh, he works for. He's been a reporter for a, a lot of years at different places. Uh, so he's he's a total you know pro journalist and everything. There's no reason to think that he's um, you know making things up or whatever. But he said in this article from a reader, like a mailbag question, like, who do you think is going to start at tight end? And he responded. Well, I thought it was going to be Albert Quagmanum, but after hearing Nathaniel Hackett talk about Greg Dulcich, the third rounder from UCLA, in uh, this rookie mini, mini camp thing, now I've changed my mind to Dulcich. And it's like, this is a rookie camp. Albert Quagmanum is not there. Right. Of course, they're going to talk about Dulcich. They're not going to. They're not going to take a press conference like, "What do you think about Dulcich?" Like, hmm, let's talk about Uquagmanum, uh instead. I don't want to talk about Greg. No, of course they're going to say, "Oh, we love Greg. Greg's Greg's the man, and Greg's a good pick. Is a he's a good player probably. Um, keep an eye on it though, because people are also starting to do Gardner Minshew epic bacon mustache uh, things with him. So that's going to be obnoxious if that really takes off. Um, but it's a rookie camp, you know, they can't talk about Albert Equipment. Them talking about Dulcich is the most meaningless thing that could possibly be. It's like they, they have to talk about him. Um, so I wouldn't take much from that. Uh, what I would otherwise ask people to think about is, you know, where else did you think that pick was supposed to go with the Broncos? Like they were already pretty well set at pretty much every position. Um, it makes sense to add a good third round, a mid third round pick tight end when you only have Oquagbunum otherwise, like they have no tight end depth. Uh, even aside from those two, it's like, the, I don't even know who the third tight end is going to be on that team. The so ghost of it, Jake, Butt. yeah, it's like, they would have had some nobody playing as uh, like a 400 snap role if they didn't take Dulcich. So uh, that that's, that's the pick. That's, that's what I think he's going to do. Um, and the thing you hear Hackett say about Dulcich, especially is like, Oh, he's a vertical threat. So, if they want a vertical threat, don't you think it might be pertinent that Albert Quagmanum runs a 4-4-9-40 and Dulcich runs a 4-7, even though Albert Quagmanum is 15 pounds heavier? And that was that was Dulcich's uh like build-up weight, probably. Like he, he might have been more like 230 or something when he played at UCLA, where he was basically a wide receiver. So we'll see if Dulcich can keep getting open in the NFL with NFL linebackers running with him rather than you know college ones and or uh nfl corners and safeties after beating the ones in college he might he, he's got something to him his production was very good i wouldn't say it's that much better than um especially caleb wilson but even even devin aziazi 
those two put up numbers at UCLA and haven't done anything in the NFL. Uh, so I, I think Oquagwinam being such a singular class of athlete is lost on a lot of people. Like I ran that pro football, uh, f- pro football reference query uh, back before they put up the, the, the paywall. Uh, but so I can't run it again right now. Uh, but they, they had uh, this record that showed nobody over 250 pounds uh, ran something like a sub four or five, except first round picks at defensive end and Albert Aquagunum. So that's that only happened like five times that they were all other first round athletes. Aquagunum has been one of the best per snap producers at tight end in his two years. He has gotten injured. That's true. Um, but, you know, him getting injured is not the same as a reason to believe that he's going to you know, lose to Dulcich. Like they're going to get into camp and they're going to be like, Hey, this guy who's like 20 pounds heavier than the other is way faster than the other one too. What do you think about that Hackett? You know, he's, he's not just going to say like, put Dulcich out there. We don't, we don't care about any of that. We just, we just, we just, we just need that mustache on the field. Like, no, you're going to want someone who's 260, almost 260 pounds running a sub four or five running down the, the seam because defenses don't want that. And, you know, I touched on this briefly last week, but you know, what are you? What are your thoughts on you know Hackett and his two tight end usage in Green Bay? Versus, well, that's the other you know, thing, man. They spent like the Packers spent a third rounder on Jay Sternberger, and then like the next year a third rounder on Josiah Deguara, and they had about four hundred snaps those two years for both of them. So don't don't get me wrong, Dulcich is probably a better prospect than certainly better than Deguara. Better than Sternberger requires a little hindsight, I think, because Sternberger was yeah, very Sternberger productive. was yeah super awesome his uh his one year at A and M. Yeah, so Dulcich could be better than them both, but like, what the? Albert Equigunum had one of the highest routes per run last year among tight ends. Uh, the same was true the year before. Both the years he drew targets at a per snap rate that is noticeably very high. Let, Hackett has to talk about Dulcich right now, but wait till he actually sees Albert Equigunum before you think you know what he thinks about him, because. Uh, I, Hackett Hackett's gonna probably cornball out about him too. He's gonna be like, oh my god, he's so. He's such a big guy. He's so fast. I don't know what he's going to, he's going to have some stupid little, I don't know, joke about the hangover or something like he's going to, he's always got like office, hum- the office humor. Uh, he's always, he's always got his, his little bits going on. Uh, well, let's see, let's see what, what wacky stuff he has to say about Albert Quagmanum before we just assume that he doesn't think he's epic too. And then, uh, you know, if if we want to like keep playing like the the mental gymnastics games for for you know like the thought processes in Denver, what does it say that they traded Noah Fan and, and kept Alberto? Right, that's the it, thing. It, the, the, that trade happened before they drafted Dulcich, so they waited till the third round. I'm to believe to get their actual crucial tight end replacement. Like they went into the third round willing to be like playing chicken with that question of going into the year with zero at tight end versus the one guy that they needed and are now committed to entirely. I don't think it's, uh, it seems unlikely to me. I don't know. Hmm. So yeah, I, I, I'm definitely getting a, a decent amount of Albert O this year. I think I wrote him up as my favorite steal from the, you know, spoiler alert for, for the Rotowire fantasy football magazine on newsstands this summer. But I said that the steal of the PPR draft was indeed Albert O um, in the ninth round, I think. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I do worry about his durability, but people have been looking for so many reasons since that 11, he caught 11 touchdowns on 26 catches as a redshirt freshman at Missouri. And ever since then, people like put a lot of hype on him at that one point, like maybe he'd be the next Gronk. And then he kind of had some ugly years as the Missouri offense fell apart. And then he fell to the late fourth round. And once he fell to the late fourth, people were just like invested in the idea of him being bad. And, you know, they, I don't know. It's 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 fine to just admit that we missed him. You know, he should have been a second round pick. Guys that big and fast are too good to leave on the bench. Yeah, I, th- I think if I if I'm putting the, the timelines together correctly, but I think Albert O was like kind of the headliner of the, of the Missouri game uh, that kind of ended up getting Brett Bielema fired like on the field. <laughs> I don't I remember, remember that. Like I, I just yeah, it was like the day after. Uh, Thanksgiving a couple years ago and, and like Albert O just like torched Arkansas or something. I, I might be misremembering it, but something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and yeah. It's, it, it's funny too, because before the combine, the line on Albert quite when I was like, Oh, he's a big lumbering guy who could just catch touchdowns. He can't do anything else. And then he runs a four, four, nine. And people are like, I was still right. He's still <laughs> slow. 
Like, no, yeah, man, he's not. You just, it's an optical illusion. He's fast. Five for 63 and two touchdowns against Arkansas that year. And then, then Burt got canned and then Arkansas hired Chad Morris. And that was a total disaster. But now the hogs are doing good. I posted something on Twitter. I'll probably get it pushed back with useless crap by the time anyone can look at it. But I took a, a shot from this one play last year where Craig Wynnum had one of his biggest catches, probably the longest catch. And there's this safety for the Eagles who's got an angle on him about uh, he's about five to eight yards laterally away and about 10 yards linearly away. And Albert Quagmanum should have been tackled there after about four more yards, basically. And instead he goes 55 or something uh, before the safety who first gets the angle broke, manages to catch up and barely stop the touchdown. And uh, mind you, again, that that's post ACL Alberto. Right. Oh yeah, I, for, I forgot about the ACL. So, uh, so he still got it. Uh, is yeah. what we're saying. Um, let's that was a quick recovery over. too. Yeah, seriously, like that was very, very fast. I thought, so, I thought he was going to miss the first six weeks, and he missed nothing. What a stud! Uh, yeah, Albert Ocast. Um Let's get on over to New Orleans. Something that that I think, like at, at first, I was like, oh crap, uh, because I, I've. Uh, been so heavily invested in Chris Olave so far in, in drafts. But, you know, Jarvis Landry, he was going to sign somewhere, is going to bum everyone out somewhere. Um, um, but what does that really change as far as the, the New New Orleans offense? I think it just gives them more depth in the, you know, short intermediate passing game. But I, I think that if Chris Olave, if they were going to have Chris Olave play the Jarvis Landry role, then like something – Something would have been totally wrong there. Yeah, they were confused about something there. If they're they're putting a Olave on the bench for a slot receiver, no, they're gonna they're gonna function in different parts of the field, and Olave is going to have a near monopoly. Uh, other than when uh, what is his name, Deontay Harris, <clears throat> is that the the five mm-hmm. six one? When he's on the field for his twenty or so snaps per game, he gets targeted downfield, and he gets targeted quite a bit in general. But other than him. It's going to be basically Olave with a near monopoly on everything further than, I don't know, 12 yards. And he'll be quite good at that, by the way. I think Jarvis Landry is a problem for maybe Michael Thomas uh, because they I know it's the slot in Landry's case. And Thomas mostly runs runs slants outside, but they're going to be running at the same depth, more or less like eight yards off the line of scrimmage. So if if somebody's getting pinched for Landry's arrival, I think it the way plays tend to develop, the way the routes tend to interact, that's sooner going to be a problem for Thomas, who being at the same depth is more likely to end up being uh, – like you can't have the two be the read right after each other. It's like one's got to be the primary, and then there's got to be some kind of element where the quarterback can work away from that depth if the defense is uh, crowding that part of the field. So I think Thomas tends to win at Landry's expense – uh, maybe the passing game is so good there's room for both, but I don't think it's a lot of his problem either way. And I, th- I think it's a good signing for the Saints. It's the, the other thing to mention though, they either have to completely reach, um, reconfigure their slot receiver role, or Landry's just not going to get targets. The, the slot mm-hmm. receiver role with the Saints has basically been a decoy since like Willie Sneed. So uh, like all they had all those bums like Lil Jordan Humphrey and Austin Carr, all those guys playing and never getting targets no matter how many snaps they play that's where Jarvis Landry is stepping in and he's, he's not going to play for no targets. You know, they got to reconfigure something. Sure. So, uh, you know, any sort of, um, Olave panic, uh, in, in regards to the, to the Landry signing, uh, I like the Saints now, man. They, I, they, they got a good defense that they can't screw up. And I really think Jameis Winston without Sean Payton, it's, it's a lot worse. Don't get me wrong. I'd much rather see Sean Payton there, but, Sure. It's got really good receivers to throw to now. I, yeah, I mean, if Michael Thomas is even like 80% of what he was a couple of years ago, you know, like the, all of a sudden this offense that was kind of unwatchable last year at, at times uh, suddenly um, becomes you know pretty, pretty interesting. Um, let's round things out. There was one notable uh, signing earlier Wednesday on the defensive side, so not, not so much a, a fantasy discussion here, but really shrewd move by the Eagles to, to pick up uh, James Bradbury, you know, give someone uh, on the opposite side of, of Darius Slay. And I think that they're, I think I saw a tweet where they're paying him less than the Giants are. 
this year. <laughs> yeah, that's how you got to do it. Uh, get your divisional rivals to pay you to to have one of their former best players on your team uh, at a position of desperate need, mind you. The Eagles have really – they still have a bad corner depth element. Like Darius Slay, James Bradbury is pretty nasty. This is starting two boundary corners. I even think Avante Maddox might be a pretty good slot specialist, but uh, they might need to reconsider him too because, you know, when the the Buccaneers kept putting Evans in the slot and they just had nothing to do there, a big guy he can't cover. So they still have to figure out their depth at corner. But Bradbury, Slay at outside, that can lock down a lot of offenses. And there's there's a nasty pass rush waiting to happen in that defense too. Getting Jordan Davis next to Fletcher Cox, and they got Josh Sweat, uh, outside this defense could be pretty nasty. Uh, I definitely think the Eagles are, are good uh, along with the Colts and the AFC. I think the Eagles are very interesting Super Bowl bets just because a combination of like low competition, especially in the Colts case, of course, but the Eagles is like, they got a strong defense in the division full of phonies who always, you know, blow it every year. And then they got AJ Brown catching play action pa- passes on the other side. That's that's tough. That's a team you don't want to see late in the year. No. So I, I yeah, Eagles tr- definitely trending up. I, I do kind of yeah, that that's a good way to put it where where they have similar uh paths in front of them and and similar like positive ingredients um when it comes to Indianapolis and, and Philly. So Philly Philly had one major hole to fill there post draft and they you know that they, they got it and you know maybe if one of the top elite corners, you know, a, a sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley, if they were available when the Eagles were picking, maybe that would have made some, some more sense over Jordan Davis, but uh, obviously they weren't. Um, it, Davis is going to be a monster. Him and Cox are going to, and they have Hargreaves. They got Nicobe Dean in the late third round and he's, he's already like practicing. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Eagles are pretty loaded aside from corner. So if that one problem doesn't get them, and again, they're starting two are very strong. It's like three through four that you wonder about. And that's, I they, guess, maybe a small problem to have. They they just can't have the Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey incidents of, of a year ago. And this should be all exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. That's going to wrap it up for us here at the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 